Pitmaster, an old Virginia smoke podcast. I'm your host, Luke Darnell. We wrap up National Barbecue Month with one of my favorite people in barbecue, Melissa Cookston. She's an amazing lady, author of two cookbooks, multiple time world champion, and has recently created the World Junior Barbecue League. She is so nice, funny, and just a great time to be around and to talk to. So this is a fun time with Melissa Cookston, so enjoy. This episode is brought to you by the Barbecue League. The Barbecue League is the ultimate barbecue experience. Here's why. One small annual investment from you instantly unlocks all 70-plus tell-all recipes, enthusiast recipes, restaurant tours, and more in their unmatched library. This isn't your typical YouTube-type content. World champions like Getting Basted, Shake and Bake Barbecue, Heavy Smoke Barbecue, La Pasadita Barbecue, and 913 Barbecue share their full tell-all recipes. No secret is left unsaid, and a new video release is guaranteed every single week of your membership. You will also see unfiltered looks from all levels of pitmasters during their live competition coverage, and those same pitmasters are accessible through the league's upbeat online community. As soon as you sign up, you'll also have a full arsenal of some of the best discounts in barbecue from brands like Snake River Farms, Blues Hog, Big Papa Smokers, Gunter Wilhelm, and gateway drum smokers, and more. The Barbecue League puts on members-only contests throughout the year, hosts live and virtual events, and offers a full-access league lounge at participating events. Listeners to the OVS Pitmaster podcast can receive $10 off of the annual $100 annual membership this month only by using code, all caps, MAYPITMASTER, all one word, M-A-Y-P-I-T-M-A-S-T-E-R on the BBQLeague.com. So sign up today and up your barbecue game. Well, we are here today with the incomparable Melissa Cookson. How are you today, my friend? I am doing so well. How are you? I'm great, and it's so great to talk to you. Um, I love having people on the show where I can tell a personal story and I remember the first time we met was in Tennessee I believe at a contest you guys were our neighbors and you were so sweet and you were doing so much stuff for I forget who it was at the time but you were doing demos and stuff and you'd come hang out behind my trailer in between takes and stuff it was a lot of fun <laughs> yeah I like to hide <laughs> <laughs> so you just got back from Memphis huh Yes. I, you know, I think it's been a week. Yeah, I've had a whole week since Memphis in May. So I'm almost recuperated. <laughs> it takes longer as you get older. <laughs> That's one that I have not been to as of yet. It's on the bucket list, hopefully for 2022. It's something that I've always wanted to go. And you've had a lot of great success there. And I really just want to see the spectacle of the whole thing. It's a lot of fun. You should come. Great. Well, let's get into some of these questions. I've been dying to ask them of you as, you know, you're a, a big role model of mine and a lot of people out there, especially a lot of female pitmasters. We have uh, quite a few of them here in the mid-Atlantic region, and I know that everybody looks up to you, so I'm really excited about this uh, episode. So what's been the most surprising thing to come out of competition barbecue for you? I think being inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame was probably the biggest surprise. 
<laughs> I didn't I didn't think I deserved that. And I certainly never thought that would ever happen. So that's probably my my biggest surprise. Yeah, I, that that is a, you know, a barbecue Hall of Fame induction is a big deal. But I mean, you you touch so many people through so many different venues, through television, through your cookbooks, through your restaurants, through the people that meet you. It's uh, I think it's well deserved. And I think about barbecue all the time and the people that I've met. And it really has been a blessing, you know, getting to meet so many different people from all around the country. Oh, definitely. I, you know, I have friends from all over the world and a lot of those people I would not know if it, if it hadn't been for barbecue. And because we share the same passion, we always have something to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. One of those things I think that in terms of, you know, trying to get information out there and, and helping people is what do you think separates a good pit master from a great pit master? Attention to detail. That's advice that I give to young cooks all the time. I have notebooks from from past competitions, just full of information of what I did. If you see me at a barbecue competition, you'll know that I'm head down and very focused. So um, I'm always paying attention to the most minute details. Yeah, I noticed that whenever we were neighbors down there in Tennessee. (laughs) And you you do have a, a... and it's something that I've learned from watching you and others is, you know, you can't let anything get inside your tunnel. You know, you're you're there for a reason. I think when when we get into that zone, that that gives us a lot of confidence moving forward. Would you agree with that? Well, I'm the chicken little of barbecue. So confidence has never been something that I've been able to achieve. So I don't know that that would be the right word. Uh, it just it it's always what I've done. I mean, I, I get into my zone and especially with the type of competitions that I've grown up in where we were doing on-site presentations, we always had a fence up and I never knew what was going on outside that fence because I was so focused. I've had golf carts run into my fence. I've had people walk into my booth, <laughs> been competing during, you know, tornadoes. So, you know, it, when you're that focused and you're that in the zone, it just makes it so much easier to block everything else out and and really pay attention to those small details that that puts you over the top. It is the small details, and it's something that I've never been <laughs> I've never had that experience in my life of focusing on those things. And barbecue has really brought that out in in me, and that's translated to a lot of different things in my life. What are your career and life experiences outside of barbecue that have helped you be successful on the competition barbecue trail? Well, this is my 39th year in the restaurant business. So obviously I was doing that long before I started competing in barbecue. That dates me, doesn't it? No, not at all. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I've always had a passion for food and most of that time in the restaurant business was not barbecue related, but you know, when, when you, when you have a passion for food, I think it, no matter what it is, I mean, if you're frying chicken, um, you need to make sure that grease is the perfect temperature for frying chicken. So if you're passionate about something, then it will carry over to what, whatever genre that you're cooking. That's great advice. I think that's a hundred percent right. If you're, if you're going to light that fire or, light the grill or turn on the stove. There's no reason not to do it right. 
I'm probably the most OCD, meticulous person about cooking that you'll ever meet. I have dry erase boards for mac and cheese. That's sad as that. <laughs> for mac and cheese? <laughs> well, I might be I might be joking there. You have to remember I have a really good sense of humor, but <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty bad, Luke. It's pretty bad. <laughs> So a lot of these podcasts, people get, we love to talk about all the success that people have had. And I like to focus more on failures. Do you have a, f- a favorite failure or something that went wrong during a competition that you really learned from and set you up for success later on down the line? You know, I can't I can't think of any failure. You know, I've, I've never dropped hog. I've never let any cooker run away from me. I'm so obsessed with having everything set up. I mean, my mise en place is organized to the T. I double check things through, you know, recheck things so much. The only thing that I can remember is I'm a two-person team. And obviously in our sanctioning body, we had uh, a blind box and on-site judges and then if you were lucky, you made finals. Well, this particular day, we had triple finals. So I needed to be putting my finals ribs on while I was doing a different category presentation. So I was giving the presentation and my teammate was supposed to put the finals ribs on. And I get the notice that we've made a different category finals. And my teammate looks at me and I can tell by the look in his eyes that <laughs> something's wrong. And he said, I forgot to put the finals ribs on. So I dumped the water out of my water cooker, and this was before hot and fast cooking was even thought about. I dumped the water out of my water cooker, and I had that thing roasting at about 600 degrees, and I cooked (laughs) competition finals ribs in two hours. Wow. Yeah. So guess what I granted with? It wasn't the hog. It was ribs. (laughs) It was the ribs. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how that always works. When people tell me stories that they dropped something or – I'm like, well, congratulations on your first place in that category. <laughs> well, I don't want to do that again, Luke. I don't. I, that, that was, you know, for somebody who's meticulous and OCD, you know, how you handle adversity tells a lot about you as a cook. So there are going to be times that not through failing on your part, but things that you cannot control, like weather, you know, a golf cart run through your gate. There are things that you cannot control. But yeah. how you handle those things is is what makes you a professional, I think. Absolutely. It's it's, it's knowing how to handle the curveballs that the cook throws <laughs> at you. <laughs> yeah, don't swing. Don't swing. <laughs> <laughs> so you've mentioned organization a lot. Does your, your week before a competition, is it the same every week before every competition? Do you do the same things on the same days? My box, I have boxes. So at the end of a competition, everything goes back in its box. It's it's ready for the next competition. And everything goes back in the same box and it's labeled on the top as what's in the box. So really what I'm looking for are, are things that I need fresh, which are rub salsas, meats, um, injections, things of that nature, which have their own individual storage units. So really the week before you know, is really just looking for meat. And Mm -hmm. that to me is the biggest key to competition is quality meat. Because, you know, my rubs and sauces are are the same. My injections are the same. I could do that blindfolded, but I can't control meat quality. It's the one thing I cannot control. 
So the week before competitions, when I start scouring, looking for the meat that I'm going to use. That's great advice. I've, I've always said that they've tried, they've tried these contests recently where they have meat provided for you. Mm-hmm. And they say that that's, that's a leveling of the playing field. And I would argue that it is a leveling of the playing field, but not in terms of cooking. It's a leveling of the playing field in terms of getting ready for a competition. I think, I think a lot of the great pit masters in the country are the people that are really, really good about selecting their meat. Yeah, I would agree with that. I have actually started a nonprofit for teenage kids. And because I don't want someone's parent to be able to afford a Wagyu brisket, I'm going to be providing them with their meat as well, just because I want them competing, you know, all from the same starting gate. However, I will be selecting that meat. So yeah. um, hopefully I can do a good <laughs> job for them. What's the name of the nonprofit? World Junior Barbecue League. Really? Yeah. I, I, it's a funny story how that all happened, but it's something I'm very passionate about. Can I ask how it all started? Absolutely. So Food Network called me and said, we would like for you to go judge the state high school championship in Texas. And I was not interested. It was during a very busy time for me. So I declined. And the production company then called me. And it just happened to be a production company that I had worked with a lot. And he said, I'm calling in a favor. So I couldn't very well say no. (laughs) So my husband pitched me out at the airport. And I had no choice but to go. The production company had rented me a car. So I I flew into Austin and had to drive into this town of, I think, population 3,100. But if you've ever been to Texas, you know that even though it's a town with a population of 3,000, that the stadiums will hold Mm 15,000. So I was teaching a rib demo on Friday. And this auditorium that holds probably 10,000 was full of these teenagers, their parents, just people. And they were wrapped. So I look up from doing this rib demo because I've done hundreds of demos. I'm like, these people are really paying attention. I should probably focus on what I'm doing and give them (laughs) my utmost attention. So it was an hour demo. I ended up going an hour and 15. I said, I tell you what, I'm going to move over to the side. So if you have any questions or would like to talk or anything, just let me know. So there was a line all the way around that auditorium of people lined up just wanting to talk. And I knew at that moment that there that was where I was fated to be. These kids wanted to talk about their philosophies of barbecue. They wanted to show me their pits. They wanted me to taste their rubs and sauces. These kids thought that they were learning how to cook barbecue, but what they were really learning was work ethic, morals, standards, core values. These kids were our future. So I judged the next day, ate some of the best barbecue that I've ever judged. And I've judged a lot over the last several years. I was so impressed with the entries that they had turned in. These are high school kids. And so on the way back in my rental car, driving back to the airport in Austin, I called my PR firm. I called my husband and I said, look, the state of Texas is not the only place that should be doing this. We need to take this national and I want to have a world championship and I want to give huge scholarship money. So let's make this happen. So I came home and formed the nonprofit. And as soon as we got the nonprofit, the pandemic hit. Now we're 
trying to have one big contest this year, later in the fall, and really get rolling next year. But it's important to me to have at least one one contest this year. So we're we're fundraising right now, and we have I've pulled from all sanctioning bodies, all the major players that are involved in those sanctioning bodies. We have our rules, we have our scoring system. You know, we we've got it all together. So we are uh, we're going to make this happen, and we're going to get teenagers a place to go learn things. You know, if if nothing else, they'll learn how to feed themselves. But you know, get them off the computer, get them off their phones, off the couch and give them something that we have all learned in the barbecue world. That's something pretty special. That's fantastic. I'm going to, I may need you, Luke. I may need you to be a mentor. (laughs) I want to be involved. This is something that, you know, we, uh, we always try and do kids cue when we can, especially when it's with uh, kids that we don't know. And we just love, I love cooking with them and learning what they think about food and, you know, how we can blend all that together. It's one of my favorite things to do. Wow. This is very exciting. I can't wait to learn more about it. And yeah, if you need me for anything, please let me know. I would love to be involved. Oh, you're on my list already. Thank you, sir. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) When you get to a contest, I think the barbecue people are some of the most superstitious people in the world. And they have a lot of habits and rituals and routines that they need to do that makes them feel better. Do you have any of those habits, rituals, or routines? I used to have a bad habit. When when I would get to my space at a contest, if there was something in my space, you know, usually a screw or a piece of iron or, you know, any little thing laying in my space, then I would pick it up and I would put it in my toolbox. And if I did well, and this was this was the year that I was running pretty good, that I started this, I would, I'd hold on to it. And so one time we pulled up in Georgia and there was this huge saw blade in my space, the circular saw blade. And I granted the contest. And so I had to tote that thing around on my trailer. (laughs) And when, when it, when it tore through all of my totes and everything on my trailer at the end of the year, I said, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to start a new box because <laughs> this couldn't possibly be lucky anymore. But my toolbox ended up being four toolboxes um, that year. So that was my thing. That's crazy, right? That is so crazy, especially with that big saw blade. That's that might be the best one that we've had so far in the podcast. Well, the guy, the 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 guy that was over the contest, he's like, "Oh, let me get somebody to come move that for you." And I'm like, "Don't you touch that! <laughs> Don't touch that!" Because it's the only thing I could find in my spot. Everything else was was clean. So yeah. It's, so would it's you bad. you would get out of the coach and walk around and look for something? Oh, honey! At that time, I didn't have a coach. I was I had I, we looked like the Beverly Hillbillies coming home from a bungee cord convention where Jethro thought that was the latest greatest thing. Um, <laughs> We had pop-up tents that we put the sides up and we slept in those. And I was pulling it with an expedition and the trailer was an open trailer. And literally it was, everything was bungeed in. We looked so horrible rolling down the road, but it was what we had to do to get there. So whatever you got to do to get there is what you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we all started that way and we still carry a red flag. You know, those red flags they have on the front of tractor trailers that have oh, yeah. a wide load. 
Yeah, we had a lid of a Weber Smoky Mountain blow off in the back of the truck one time because I didn't strap it down. And I had to go back in a rainstorm and get it. And I found this flag laying there. <laughs> and it has been to every contest since then. <laughs> you have to do what you have to do to seek the good mojo. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> do you listen to music when you cook? I do not. It's no? quiet. Mm-mm. I, I thought it was. I, I didn't remember any music. That's turned into something that we actually have to have now, but it has to be the same songs over and over again. So, yeah, I know a lot of people that do, you know, but for me, I like it very quiet so I can concentrate and focus. And and I'm going to be honest with you. Usually somebody around me has music going, so I really don't have to worry about my music. <laughs> When you lose your focus, what do you do to get it back? I don't know that I ever lose focus. I don't. I just don't allow that to happen. But I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've been competing for 25 years. So, you know, for me, focus is easily obtained because, you know, there are certain things that we do. If You know, if I've determined, okay, this hog is this big and I have to get this on at this time, then everybody knows you know, she's got her head down. So it's very easy for me to um, get in the zone. And and I just don't allow myself to get out of that zone until it's time. Yeah, that's, it's becoming easier for me as I, as I'm now into my 10th year of cooking, that I can just, I can flip a switch pretty good now. <laughs> just oh, yeah. like, don't talk, go away. <laughs> Let's talk about some equipment type of stuff. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've made in competition barbecue? Well, obviously, when I first started cooking, I had this old barrel grill that was made out of a propane tank, and it was leaky as a sieve. And every time the wind blew, you had to reposition the smoker. So definitely the best investment I ever made was my first brig. It had um, four smokers on it. Well, it had three when I bought it, and I put another one on it. So I, I only had to take one vehicle to competitions at that point because before we were pulling two different trailers so that that has to be my best investment was my my actual rig what are you cooking on now these days well it depends on where i'm going and what i'm doing um (laughs) i have i have 36 different smokers and grills right now wow i have four different rigs yeah four different rigs uh the one i just cooked on at memphis in may is a 50-foot rig it has three hog cookers on it and a competitor so uh, it has four smokers on it but it's 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 made for for big big comps i mean it it, uh, it's it's something to haul down the road though it's it's very heavy so you know i don't know that i'd want to take it cross country but you know i have i have my jambo i have a pit maker rig that has a grill and, and two smokers on it so you know i I mean, I just, it depends on where I'm going, what I'm doing and how, you know, my mood, I, you yeah. know, I may be in a mood to cook hot and fast and, and sleep some. So I'll, I'll drag some barrels out drums. I mean, I forget we call them drums these days. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it just depends. 36. I think you should talk to Kim and tell her that I don't have a problem that I'm actually yeah. okay. <laughs> my mama told me I have eight trucks. My mama told me, she said, you know that this is not really girly, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
the stuff you collect is not really very girly. <laughs> yeah, okay. but what's what's more useful, trucks and smokers, or I don't know yeah. what's what's girly. I don't even know what to classify as that. <laughs> I don't know. Appar- apparently, a dually is not girly, <laughs> nor is a freightliner. But you know who's counting? Hey, nobody. Nobody's counting. Nah, nah. <laughs> so those are all expensive things. Do you have a tool or something that you've bought for under a hundred dollars that has? positively impacted your competition barbecue life? Well, definitely in the Kansas City world, you know, I'm, I'm still big on thermometers. I, those little instant read thermometers, they are not expensive at all. But if nothing else, I'm probing my brisket with it. I don't even need to look at the at the temperature. I'm just checking to see how easy it goes in that brisket. Yeah. But I'm still... I'm still a temperature girl. You know, my hogs look like UFOs. I've got so many probes coming in and out of those things. So I I just like having information. I like knowing where things are, uh, especially with really big meats. You, you hit stalls yeah. and I always sweat the stall still to this day. So I just, I want to know where I am. So I have, there's no telling how many thermometers I have. Or how many batteries that I have backups for those thermometers. But just those little digital instant read thermometers are, are fantastic. You can also buy those at MelissaCoxon.com in case you didn't know that, Luke. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure to check it out and put that in the show notes. Yeah, I've been told that my Jambo looks like a like an alien. It has so many cords coming out of it sometimes. Yeah. But, but I'm like you. I, I just want to know. You know, I, I want to know where it is. And you hear stories all the time about people losing a meat because, you know, they weren't they cooked to a timeline and they have no idea. You know, every animal is different. So every piece of meat cooks differently, in my opinion. I agree with you. Let's switch gears here a little bit. And uh, this is one of my favorite set of questions. Who has impacted your life the most in competition barbecue? I would say at Burke. He's probably the reason I got into competition barbecue. I was walking around, and he's the first person that I was amazed by. So, Pat Burke, he probably can can thank the barbecue world for for having me in it. <laughs> it's funny the tree of pitmasters that go back to Pat Burke. It is he, impressive. <laughs> he's he's a true gentleman. He is. He he has a memory that I wish I could have half of. He can tell you every contest he's been to, who was there, who won, who placed what. It's amazing to me the memory that he has. But he's so kind and so just a gentleman. And and he's, I will tell you, he um, when when I was competing, you know, when I first started competing, I only competed in a couple of comps, but. A year, but when I really started competing, he was competing in his Tower Rock, and mm-hmm. you you loved to see him show up because it was Mr. Pat, but you also did not want to see him show up because he would kick your butt in a New York second. <laughs> I had the pleasure of talking with Mr. Tuffy, and uh, that was that was his person as well. So I don't think that I've ever met Pat, but I think I need to. You definitely need to. When you hear the word successful in terms of barbecue, who's the first person that comes to mind? Probably Tuffy Stone. Tuffy has, has I mean, how many times has he won the Jack? Three times. He's won yeah. he's won the American Royal. 
And now he's crossed over sanctioning bodies in one Memphis in May. To me, that is one of the most impressive resumes I've ever seen. Yeah. Not only is he good, you know, we as barbecuers tend to really focus on the meats that we cook. In Kansas City, you know, you're really attuned to brisket, chicken, pork butts, and usually spare ribs. On the Memphis circuit, whole hog, shoulders, whole shoulders, and loin back ribs. And one thing that I've learned in, in judging on TV a lot is if you give them something different than what they're used to cooking, it kind of throws them a curveball because we as competitive barbecuers spend so much time on those meats that we cook for competition. So for him to cross over those sanctioning bodies, seemingly so easy, because even before he won Memphis and May, he'd finaled there many times. Mm-hmm. So for me, I really admire him for that. Yeah, and he's and he's done it all with such a great attitude and such grace. He's just such a great, great human being. He really is a lot of fun to be around and talk to. <laughs> Oh yes, I, I agree with that one hundred percent. He's um, he kind of reminds me of Pat Burke. He's such a gentleman of barbecue, and he and his wife are such a great team, both uh, competitively as well as you know working together in their catering company. Uh, yeah. So um, I just I just love them both dearly. Yeah, they're great people. They really are. What do you think the future of competition barbecue is going to be? You know that that's a good question. Like I, I hope that it is the WJBL, which uh, you should look that up. It's going to be a great sanctioning body. It's going to be comprised of teenagers cooking. It's going to be amazing. Um, I don't get into the uh, drama of sanctioning bodies. I stay completely clear of all that. So you know, I don't really know what's going on from from one year to the next with with the rules i kind of have to find out what the rules are every competition i go to and who's <laughs> disgruntled and who's happy and i just don't know all that so i always say as long as i have a little spot of dirt that i can pull up to and cook com- competition when i want to i'm happy i just hope that in the future there's a some sort of sanctioning body where i can cook whole hog because that's what i love to do and where, you know, I can I can just go cook uh, and enjoy the camaraderie of the other barbecue cooks there. Now you've been you've raised been raising your own hogs for for Memphis and May. Is that is that correct? Yeah, well, I was I did that for five years this year. I went back to competing with what I was competing with before I sold all my hogs when the pandemic yeah. first started. So, yeah, it was, uh, I got to cook my first hog during the pandemic. I went down to Richmond to buy it. And I, the, the people that wanted it, they only wanted a 120 pound hog. And I get there and the guy's got this monster over his shoulder. And I said, what am I supposed to do with that? And he's like, Nobody's buying hogs, man. This is the smallest one we got. <laughs> yeah. 210 pounds. Yeah. So I had my work cut out for me, but I think I did a pretty good job. I'm sure you did. I did some research in somebody's somebody's cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> I put it out well, there for you. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh it's a lot of fun and uh for those of you that have never cooked a big hog that are out there or a whole hog that are out there listening. 
find a way to do it. It is a rewarding experience and you get to learn a lot about your fire and a lot about how you are as a cook. I, it's, it's just, to me, it's a, a thing that I, my, we used to cook them when I was a kid, we would dig a hole in the ground and cook them like they do in the islands. And uh, my dad had a friend from Tonga and he taught us how to do it. So that's how I got into cooking when I was a kid. So it's always, I don't know, something mythical to me whenever I get to do it. Very special. Yeah. Well, let's get into my favorite questions. These are the rapid fire questions. And I think they're fun. What is one of your favorite pre, during, or post-competition meals? Waffle House. Because if I if I win the grand, I get to go have the 10 cup breakfast. So that means I've won. <laughs> That's a great answer. I love the Waffle House. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite present that you like to give to people? I'm sorry. Repeat that. What is uh, your favorite present that you like to give to people? Food, always food. You know, I'm always making crazy things like blackberry basil jam or something like that. So, you know, I'm always giving people food. I'll make a sausage ball kit made from sausage from my hogs, and I'll give them the cheese and the bisquick. I mean, I'm always giving food, so food. That's great. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions about you? That I mean, people people see me on TV and they they see my direct, forward, honest nature, and they think I'm mean. I'm not mean. Or I'm at a comp and my head's down. You know, I don't know why people just have a a misconception of my personality. I think I'm funny. I'm really funny. Just ask me. I, <laughs> I love it when people tell me that that you're mean. I'm like, you guys, she's the nicest woman in the world. You have no idea. You know. <laughs> Saturday morning at a co- contest, you knocked on our trailer door because you'd made us breakfast. I mean, it, <laughs> I tell people that story all the time. I'm like, yeah, she's furthest from mean that you could find. Well, when I'm in my zone, I'm in my zone and I'm, I'm I don't know. Maybe I just have a, a mean look on my face. I don't know. But I don't know. But people think I'm mean. I'm not mean. I promise I'm not mean. No. And your honesty when you're judging somebody's food is. You know, I think something that everybody really needs. You know, nobody gets better if they're told they cook great food all the time and it's not great. Yeah, I think people wanted everybody to win. And that's just not that's not the case in competition barbecue. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, getting a message out to millions or billions, what would it say and why? I think you have to strive for perfection. You'll, you'll, you'll fail sometimes, but if you don't reach for the stars, then you'll never know exactly what you could have done because mediocrity is not okay. That is a great quote, which it could be two ones. You could have strive for perfection or mediocrity is not okay. I love, love <laughs> both of those. <laughs> All right. Last question. What is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Little Smokies. <laughs> really? In cheap barbecue sauce. It's even worse. Oh my gosh. Don't tell anybody that. That'll be our secret. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love little smokies too. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> People good. make fun of me for that. My husband, he's like, I cannot believe you're eating that. <laughs> but apparently, I'm not supposed to eat little smokies made with craft barbecue sauce. Well, I disagree. With him, because I think okay. that's fantastic. If I see that at a, at a like, if you go to somebody's house for a cocktail party and they've got that, I'm like, 
Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to hit that pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's good. <laughs> it's good. Some things like, you know, one of the worst answer I ever had to that question was uh, Donnie Teal, who likes these things called Tijuana Mamas from gas stations. These pickled yeah. sausages. So I was driving. Uh, I have somewhere. more. I have more. But you have more uh, what? I have more absurd things, but what are they? Okay. So, you know, Jeff just came out with the squeeze bottle. Yeah. You know, they came out with a squeeze bottle. Okay. So that was just for me because now I don't have to have a spoon. I can just flip the top back, tilt my head back, squeeze the peanut butter, and close the lid. (laughs) (laughs) I go through, I go through one of those every other day. Every other day? Every other day. How absurd is that? That's fantastic. That is not fantastic. That's terrible. But sometimes, you know, like when you're in the restaurant business and you don't have enough staff and you don't get to eat, that it fits right in the in the back pocket of your chef pants. <laughs> I now have this so vision of like, you. Kind of like a holster for your Jeff peanut butter squeeze <laughs> bottle. <laughs> I have this vision of you walking around the kitchen. Peanut butter in the back. Yeah. There you go. My husband has photo- photographic evidence because <laughs> he thinks that that is also absurd. We don't have peanut butter in our house. Why? Because I'll I'll eat it all. <laughs> and oh. Kim doesn't. Oh, Kim doesn't you have get to any. Learn how to hide it better. See, that's the thing. She hides it, and I can't find it. It's well, been a fight. You should for- go buy it and find your own hiding place. Yeah. Or you know you can you know what I do because I don't go to the grocery store. I get I get I get it by the case from Amazon. <laughs> you have you have a peanut butter problem. I do. <laughs> it, you know I think there are worse things. Peanut butter got me through the pandemic. Absolutely, it got me through the pandemic, and I think you know it, it's better than some things I could have turned to. Oh, 100% agree. This is fascinating. Peanut butter sales are going to go up after this podcast. It's going to be great. (laughs) Well, it has to be a certain brand and it has to be a certain kind of that brand. I love the squeeze bottle application, though. That's fantastic. No spoon required. Yes. I just added that to my list and my notes that I made. (laughs) That's getting ordered tonight. Well, Melissa, I want to thank you so much for being on here with me. And we'll definitely, everybody that's listening, please go check out the World Junior Barbecue League. And you said that was WJBL.com? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's WorldJRBBQLeague.com. Okay, great. And where else can people find you online? MelissaCookston.com. You can order comp meats. Uh, I've got prime uh ribs and butts and uh, have um, you can order ribs and turkey sent to your grandma Ethel for her birthday and she can open up a nice box and just have dinner already waiting because you know you don't want to have to cook on her birthday and of course rubs and sauces and tools and hot sauces I started fermenting hot sauces so I've done some barrel aged hot sauces I've done a lot of cool stuff in the last year. So you can find it all at melissacookston.com. Cool. All right. Well, we'll definitely check it out. And thank you again for being on here. Thank you for having me, Liz. 
Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an old Virginia Smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and share it out with all your friends. Also, be sure to check out the old Virginia Smoke YouTube channel as well. We will have another episode for you next week. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedenka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021. Oh, yes. Old Virginia Smoke.